Hi, I'm Glenn Harper, CPA and owner of Harper & Company, CPAs Plus, and partner in Sula Consulting. In each episode, my co-host, Julie Smith, Harper & Company's practice manager and partner in Sula Consulting, and I will interview a different guest about their entrepreneurial journey. The podcast features interviews with business owners, aka entrepreneurs, who bring intriguing and entertaining clarity to the entire entrepreneurial journey, giving others confidence to build their business. Our goal is to provide actionable value to you, the entrepreneur, to help you do business or build a business. Every entrepreneur deserves to enjoy the journey. Learning from others offers valuable insight and inspiration. We want to provide insight on the why, the how, the shortcuts, and the value add that many entrepreneurs wish they would have had identified at the onset of their journey. Sit back and enjoy the journey. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Empowering Entrepreneurs. I'm Glenn Harper. Julie Smith. What's going on, Ju? Hey, you know, uh, I think we have a great guest. She seems very energetic, and I can't wait to dive into it today. Well, if somebody hasn't had their coffee yet, and that's probably why you're not so energetic. I'm well, guessing. I had to skip the weather comment because yeah. of past comments, so here we go. Uh, that happens sometimes. Well, we're pleased to have Megan Sumrall here, a fellow entrepreneur, entrepreneur who is the driving force behind the Pink Bee that provides time management training for women. She has helped many an entrepreneur the art of being productive instead of just busy. Welcome, Megan. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. And in just that introduction, all Glenn told me last night is you are going to love our, our guest tomorrow. And so I'm guessing he's telling me I'm busy and I need to manage my time better. I, I'm not saying anything, but it's all good. Well, you know, Megan, I detect a slight south of the Mason-Dixon accent. Um, are you originally from Kansas City or are you from, are you from Cary, North Carolina? So I live in Cary, North Carolina right now. I'm actually kind of from all over. I grew up, my father was in the Marine Corps for 30 uh, years. So I was born of all places in Beirut, Lebanon. So I don't nice. think I, I carry a Lebanese accent. I, <laughs> I detect I a slight hint. Yeah, slight hint of one. No, that's great. Um, yeah, we stalked you a little bit. And uh, again, now you're in, in Cary, which is uh, you know the seventh largest city in North Carolina. What's that like? You like that town? I, I love Cary. I'm kind of about 10 minutes right outside of downtown Raleigh. I moved here, God, I can't believe I can say it now, over 20 years ago um, when I was single and just looking to get out of the uh, breakneck pace of the Washington, D.C. area. And I have absolutely fallen in love with it. No intentions of leaving. That's fantastic. Now, I understand that uh, you were uh, at, you went attended college at uh, William & Mary, which is kind of cool. Uh, yes. Who, who, um, and my husband and I actually ended up going back and getting married there. It's one of the perks you can get if you graduate uh, in one of the oldest chapels in the country. So it was it was beautiful. How how cool is that? I, I was looking up the university, you know, heard about it, but never knew much about it. But that thing was chartered by King William III and Queen Mary II, hence the name, back in 1693. Do you think that they would have uh, chartered that uh, school if they knew that uh, we were going to secede from their uh, their grasp? Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> and I was actually um, in school there when we had the 300th uh, okay. anniversary. Uh, it was it was an amazing year to be there. Isn't that crazy? You know, in the rest of the world, they celebrate years and like thousands of years of history. We've got like a few hundred, which is amazing in and of itself. But yeah, to go to the same place that George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, John Tyler, and James Monroe went, that's pretty cool. Um, I understand it's just a fantastic uh, university. I suspect you met a lot of cool people there, including your husband. I did. It was a, it's the perfect right size of, I always described it as big enough where you could, you know, 
hide when you need to get everything you needed, but small enough to run into, you know, everybody you wanted to have a close personal relationship with all of your professors. Um, and the campus is just absolutely beautiful. How did you decide to go to that university? Well, I was, uh, you know, even though we had lived all over the country and world, we were Virginia State residents at the time. And uh, William and Mary is a Virginia State school. So, you know, looking there and my oldest six sister actually had gone to William and Mary. So I had visited her there um, and being the youngest of three girls, my I was like, I'm not going to go to William and Mary because I was so tired of everyone always saying, mm -hmm. oh, just like your sisters and just about anything I did. Um, so it is a real testament to how much I loved the campus and the campus tour um, that I actually decided to go there, even when my initial reaction was, I'm not going to do anything <laughs> that either one of my sisters did. Well, I suspect they probably had a, your name was blacklisted because your sister probably went through that place and had a great time. And they even said, <laughs> we, we, we can't have Megan show up, I guess. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe not. not. Well, did you, uh, did you enjoy staying in college or you couldn't wait to get out or how did that go? Cause you know, a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, the, the college just kind of gives them a rash. They get a little nervous about being there. They'd rather go do what they want to do and not be told what to do. Did you had that feeling while you were there or was it just like, Hey, I just can't wait to take all this in. You know, probably a little bit of both. Um, I enjoyed my studies in college. I, um, I was a major in operations research, which is basically applied mathematics, um, so I really loved that part of college, but from a very young age, I just always had kind of an independent streak of just wanting to get out and do things. And, and I felt in some ways college just didn't move fast enough. Um, so it wasn't a, like, I don't look back and say I didn't enjoy college and I couldn't wait to get out. I just wanted it to go fast. I was, I was mm -hmm. ready to, to get out into the world. I'm getting all emotional. Uh, you, you like math. I, that's just, that, that touches me in a weird spot. That's just so cool. <laughs> right in his pocket protector. <laughs> I, I'm like, oh, I, where's my 10 key? Let's talk some some addition <laughs> and subtraction. No, that, uh, we get a kick out of that. Julie doesn't like math at all. And uh, it's funny, most entrepreneurs are really not math people. And uh, it's just interesting that, so I'm, I'm really curious to get into this a little bit to see how your journey went through the numbers versus your passion. So, um so you graduate with with this degree and basically I did. So that, yeah, I graduated with a bachelor of science in operations research and I had a um double minor in music and religion. Wow. <laughs> kind of interesting. You're just well-rounded. So then where do where do you go from there? You graduate and then what? So I graduated and ended up um falling into well, I spent my first year out of school and just honestly, a job from hell. I really didn't enjoy it. It was basically doing data entry, but you know, you gotta, you gotta get a job. So I got a job. Um, and after a year, thankfully landed a job back in, I'm going to be dating myself here, like back when people had landlines, um, and worked for Bell South, uh, mm -hmm. kind of a spinoff of Ma Bell. And at that time they were just hiring, um, young kids out of college that they could mold and train into what they wanted them to do. So, you know, I said, great, put me in. Um, and initially was hired to be a computer programmer and discovered pretty quickly I wasn't really good at that because I was a classic overthinker in absolutely everything. So they kind of punished me, for lack of a better word, by throwing me into the testing organization there. And I felt like Briar Rabbit. So I was like, oh my gosh, you mean you guys are going to pay me 
to go tell everybody else what they're doing wrong. Like this is fantastic. Um, And so that kind of launched me into a career that I didn't even know existed, which was all around software quality assurance um, and spent the next over 20 years um, working through a number of different, um, both large software organizations, and then also was kind of at the forefront of the whole dot-com world as well, really building out Um, processes, infrastructure, and everything related to quality improvement with software. So still a lot of, you know, taking my background and my love of math, um, really in being a critical thinker, problem solving, being able to figure out, you know, uh, untangling things that looked really complicated and really simplifying them. So it isn't quite the direct numbers to numbers kind of relationship of math to you know becoming a statistician or something, but all of that critical problem solving skills was applied to the world of software engineering. So let me get this straight. You didn't actually program. You just helped make sure you could solve the problems for the programmers to program better. Yeah. And basically cool test that? every single thing that they programmed to make sure it did what it was supposed to do. Um, and I will say later in my career, I actually did do some software programming, but it was building testing infrastructures. Um, so I was writing software to actually test what the what the core products were supposed to you do. You know, there's there's something that's just so makes me grin to sit there and tell a software engineer that they're doing it wrong. I, I mean, that is I mean, that's got to be so that was not uh, received very well, I would imagine. So that had to be a lot of fun. Well, I, I will say early in my career, um, I didn't always handle it very graciously. <laughs> um, but, you know, the more I was in, the more uh, learned ways of working side by side with the software engineers and and really becoming a team to say, hey, we're all we're all looking for the same end goal, which is to build something that our customers are absolutely going to love. And so uh, found some ways to get some good relationships going there. That's tough engineers. They like doing it their way. That's that's a tough one. Famous last words, works on my machine. If I had a nickel for every time I heard that. (laughs) Classic. Well, what was the uh, impetus to say, you know what? You know, I like working for a living, but, you know, I'd rather do something a lot harder and start and hang up my own shingle. What what, what made you decide (laughs) to do that? Well, I'd always had the idea of wanting to work for myself. Um, And I did a lot of crazy little things um, over the course of my life. I had a, um, actually had a wedding cake business that I would do in the evenings. I fell in love with cake decorating. So I thought maybe I'd open a bakery one day, but discovered I didn't love it enough to do that. Um, I used to make some handmade, uh, very elaborate cards that I would sell in local shops. I, I made dog treats for a while. So I'd always... I've kind of been looking for something that I could truly grow and build and make my own. Um, And then as my career kind of progressed, I really got into more of a consulting role. And that really felt a little bit like being an entrepreneur um, where I I would get hired out and come in and work in organizations for a few weeks and really got to craft my own role there. So I kind of thought, well, maybe maybe this is how I will, you know, fill that entrepreneurial spirit that I had. Um, and then I, I got married later in life, and we started a family later, and found myself at a really tough spot where, you know, I had a, a toddler trying to juggle motherhood and building my career, along with, you know, having a life and all of that, and it got it got a little overwhelming. Um, and I had been through, you know 
every single kind of classical time management training out there, starting in the early days with the Franklin Covey world. Um, I had been through a lot of process optimization training in my career. Um, for those of you in the you know engineering space, I did all of the certified scrum practitioner. I was a black belt lean six Sigma. So I'd really leaned into all of that and found myself at a stage where I re- realized all of the tools I'd been using to kind of organize my life, plan my time, stay on top of my calendar, weren't working for me anymore now that I was juggling motherhood and and work. And so thankfully, there was a very potent day for me when a, a woman at the park, I was there pushing my daughter on the swing, we we're chatting, and she just randomly asked, so what do you do for fun? Hmm. And I didn't have an answer. because so I was like, I, I couldn't remember the last time I did, I mean, something just for me fun, right? I mean, being at the park was nice, all of that, but it was a real wake up call on the fact that I was heading down a path that wasn't sustainable, nor was it enjoyable. Um, And so I decided, hey, Megan, why don't you take yourself on as a client? Like you go into organizations and streamline their processes for them. Why don't you take a look at your own life and figure out a better way to juggle all of this? Um, so that really was the the foundation. I didn't know it was going to turn into a business of developing this proprietary time management system. Um, and women that I knew started looking at me after a few months are like, you you look different. Like, did you join a new gym? You know, I was like, no, I'm just, I'm happier. Like I'm feeling more free. So they started asking if I could share what I was doing. Um, and I really had to think about it for a while and, and determine it. Could I unpack this and turn this into a system that I felt confident I could help others with? So I worked with a small group of women at first to introduce this to them. And they all were like, this has changed my life. So at that moment, I was like, this is my calling. This is what all those years in the corporate space was leading to was both the business knowledge from having worked with a lot of startups and then the practical knowledge along with the training. And so at that point, I just said this this is my passion. Um, and so that's what I've been doing now full time. And I love it. Did you, um, were you, the consulting thing you were doing, was you were still working for a company at the time, but going in? I was, I did some independent and okay. then some through a company. So I kind of had, I, I did both for a while. So you were, you were able to build up your business big and uh, how, how far did you go along building up your new business before you said, that's it, I'm out of the other consulting gig? Was it right away so or it took a I little bit? I did not get, I did not build it up to the place where I was matching my income. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know many entrepreneurs that can, because the only way I think I could have done that was to be working a hundred hours a week, right? I mean, and you weren't I working a hundred hours a week? It seems like you're leaving something on the table there. Yeah. So it got to where um, there was a, you know, a sustainable revenue consistently coming in month over month. But I was at that breaking point where I, you know, sat down with my husband and just said, at this point, I can't put any more into it because the time's just not there. And thankfully, he has always been one of my biggest fans. So he's like, well, I bet on you. Uh, so that was at that point, I'd spent about three years kind of doing both in parallel and realized in order to go all in, I was going to have to take that big risk and um, and leave corporate behind. And you did all this with having a toddler? Yes. Just one kid or t- multiple at this time? Well, it depends on who you ask. So my mom always <laughs> says I have two because she counts my husband <laughs> as one. Well, obviously, yes. <laughs> He's a big child at heart. But no, just just the one daughter. And, and I'm a dog mom, and I'm a very passionate dog mom, so I count her as well. Wow. 
You know, it's it's funny what it takes or what you have to go through to, you know, everybody's got a tolerance of how much they can take before they say, that's it, I got to make a change. And, yeah. you know, if you could look back and say, well, wow, if I could have recognized where this could have been and where this is ending up now, would you think you would have made that decision sooner? Or do you think that it all happens for a reason? I think it all happens for a reason. I mean, I want to say, oh, I wish I'd started sooner, right? Because the business, I could have impacted more people faster. But I think I had to go through what I went through because one of the the things I'm really passionate about helping, especially other entrepreneurs with, is um, really rattling that belief that in order to be successful, you've got to go all in. You've got to get up at four in the morning. You've got to work till you know midnight and all of that. And I like that my journey shows that I made the conscious decision not to do that and yet have still built a very successful business. I always, I, I love Shark Tank. I think a lot of entrepreneurs mm-hmm. always enjoy watching that. And I always cringe a little when the sharks it kind of you know lay in to one of the entrepreneurs there if they feel like they haven't suffered enough in the form of you know sleeping on the floor and going and banging down doors and working on your business every minute of every day like i i don't want people to think that the only way to be successful or to show that you can be passionate about what you do is to sacrifice yourself and the journey to get there so i i think that it happened for me in that very methodical reason to then be able to help others and show them, no, you don't have to do that. I think probably the reason why that is, is again, five, 10, 20, 30, 50 years ago, there were no resources for an entrepreneur. So you had to go through the school of hard knocks. You had to come up through the ranks that way. Now, all the shortcuts are there. You can pretty much skip the line on a lot of things. You can bring other team members in, hire other people to help. And that really helps you do that without having to kill yourself, which is kind of cool. And I think there's there's always a school of hard knocks in terms of, I mean, I feel like I learn everything the hard way, you know, a million Similar. things I did wrong that I, I wished I hadn't done wrong the first time and all of that. But it doesn't have to be at the sacrifice of your mental health, your sanity, your, you know, missing out on your family and loved ones. Which goes against everything I think about it, because usually to be an entrepreneur, you got to have a screw loose, right? You just, it's not, Love you're that. not normal. A normal person doesn't quit a real job and go in the deep unknown and try to figure it out and never know what's going to happen. But for some reason, entrepreneurs thrive in that area. And it sounds like you were able to kind of, um, again, I think that goes back with some of your training and mindset. You were able to manage that pretty well, where you didn't have to feel that way. Correct. I mean, I still... I mean, that, that leap of faith of going, oh my gosh, you know, and I, and I don't want to fail. Um, I don't know any entrepreneur myself included that hasn't had what others would call a failure. I mean, I've, I've tried things that ethically didn't work. Right. But we call those pivots. Yeah. We don't, we don't use the F word. It's very, very bad. (laughs) But I, and I don't mind it because I always like that phrase failing forward. Right. Like it's only a failure if you don't, take something from it that you learn that then you go and and change up and do something with. It's a fail if you don't try. You got to at least yeah. try. Well, failure is only if you do it once. Right. And quit. Yes. Yes. Perfect. Yeah. So if you could go out there and find like your ultimate client that you would, you're just lo- watching TV, listen to a podcast, listen to the radio, talk to people. If you could say, man, if I could just talk to that person, 
I would rock their world and and be so impactful that that person would probably, because again, I, I don't think you do this for the money. It doesn't sound like it. I think you do it to help people genuinely, which is the crazy thing. When you do it to help people, everything comes into play. It all works. But who mm-hmm. would you think that you could, man, if I could just get that person as an engagement, they would be able to impact so many more people. Have you thought about who that might be? Yeah. I mean, a specific person oh, yeah. or just a description of that person. A, in general. a specific person go, man, I would just be somebody that'd be the dream client. Um, God, that's a really Besides good Julie Smith. We don't. <laughs> um, there are some entrepreneurs, some female entrepreneurs I see out in the digital space, since that's where most of my business lies, um, where I see, I see how they're running their business and I know how exhausted they are. And I just want to say it doesn't have to be that way. It just doesn't have to be that way. And I don't want to name names because I don't want to call anyone out because they have very thriving, successful businesses. But I would say if you are waking up exhausted and falling into bed at night, feeling like you're never going to get caught up, it just, it does not have to be that way. Wow, you just described myself. I don't know what you're doing. You said, so, Julie, are you, we should, let's do an intervention right now. Um, <laughs> no. Now, do you only deal with, uh, with, with the women or do you deal with men as well? Or is it? No, I do have some men that come into my program. Um, and a lot of times I will have a woman that comes into my program and then she's like, okay, I'm going to have my husband start going through this course with me because they see the power of them both getting on the same page in terms of how they're planning and managing their time. Um, it, I find it interesting that most men that go through my course um, are single dads. So I think for the attraction for men with what I teach is if they are the ones that are kind of carrying the the emotional load and more of this, I call it the COO of the household, um, where it just means that there's a, a little bit more on your plate than than you're typically used to juggling. So I want to go back. So you were a working mom, career-oriented mm-hmm. And decided to take the leap of faith. And I think we've we've had a couple of podcasts on about the whole working mom and the balance and what does that mean and how it's hard, right? It's it's yeah. it's hard. And so walk me through just some like, hey, these are the wins I had, these are the aha moments I had. Cause I think a lot of our listeners can relate to that and and can maybe glean some information from you in regards to that. Yeah. First I would say stop trying to achieve balance. That alone is a recipe for disaster. And so I really, I don't like the phrase work-life balance because what it implies when you think about balance, um, think of the scales, right? The one with the two dishes on either side. It means that you have to be doing things equally in order for it to work. And if you go out and like do a Google search on images for work-life balance, what, what you subtly see is a ton of images of women who are multitasking. So they're like sitting at their kitchen counter with their laptop holding the baby and everybody's smiling. Like that never happens, right? But they're showing you balancing that or they're in a caregiving role while on the phone at the grocery store. You know, So this is subtly the messages that the media is putting out there is that in order for you to have work-life balance, it means that you need to be multitasking like all the time. And so I lean into the phrase work-life harmony instead, where a life of harmony means you're not doing everything equally, but what you are doing is you're fully present in whatever role you're in at that moment. 
you have purpose in your life again, and you get to be really proactive in how your day flows instead of reactive, where you're just like feeling like you're in firefighting mode. And so one of the first places I I start people is getting them to understand the difference between operating from a daily task list versus a weekly plan. And a lot of the kind of productivity experts out there all teach this method where you wake up in the morning, do your brain dump, right? Create all the things that are on your mind, like get the list of everything that you're going to do for the day, then circle your top three, because somehow magically we're always only supposed to have three priorities for every day. And then your goal is to focus on just those three priorities first. And then when you're done, go do everything else. I don't know anybody juggling a career in anything, whether it's kids or not, where that is a realistic or sustainable way to go through life. Because you may have days where there's more than three priorities. You may have a day where it's one of those lots of little things that just need to get done done days. And then also when you operate from this daily task list, never are you marrying it to the realities of what you have going on that day to say, is this even feasible? So kind of think of it like if I were to hand you a $20 bill and then a list of groceries and said, go to the grocery store and get those. And you put everything in the basket, you get to the counter and they're like, oh yeah, it's 50 bucks. And you're like, well, I only have 20. This is how people are running their lives today. They're just creating these ridiculous lists without understanding their true available budget of time. And so they're just in constant (laughs) catch-up mode. So I start everybody by shifting them to a style of planning that is this weekly planning style. So we're going to throw out our daily task lists. And I walk through first a basic five-step weekly planning process, and then we learn the more advanced one. Um, But this layers in the realities of your life. What are your current commitments? When do you have pockets of time where you're in service to others that you can't be getting things done? And then opens the opportunity to really maximize efficiencies in terms of grouping activities and tasks together um, at more of that weekly view instead of just this very daily reactive way of living. You know, it's, um, you have an amazing delivery of how you communicate. You're very good at this. Like, can I oh, just well, say, thank you. You're, you're, I hope so. the way you deliver just is like, wow, that resonates very much so. So, you know, I, I think one of the things you said is, is kind of, is kind of thing, all the technology and all the cool stuff that's going on. I just feel like myself speaking, Julie, you can speak for yourself on this, but it seems like I have, I feel like I have to do more in the same amount of time because I quote have this technology and maybe my brain thinks that way where I'm just can be more productive, not because I should be, it's just because I can and mm-hmm. I can do 50 things at once. Now that, that might, might be at one time I can do 50 things consecutive. I can't do more than one thing at a time because I'm a dude. Now chicks, they can multitask, but dudes we're like, give me one thing at a time, but we'll do a lot of them. Uh, but it's just uh, interesting how it seems like if I have five minutes free, I feel like I got to fill it with something. Right. I just it's hard to just stop and just relax for a moment. And I don't know what that what that issue is. I'm sure it's a deep rooted thing. But, you know, I don't we don't need to delve into this today. All the millions of listeners would judge me then. But Julie, and I think it's even to your point, technology plays into this. Right. When we look at the the traditional time management systems that that have been around for a long time, um, those systems were developed before we we were walking around with high powered computers in our pocket. Right. 
And uh, unfortunately, most of those systems today haven't shifted to accommodate the realities of technology. I found this interesting article a couple of years ago um, that was sharing that in any given day through our mobile devices, we are being uh, sent like over 32 gigabytes of data per day. And that's information that we were not used to consuming. And so we have to have planning systems, information management systems in place to handle all of that, or else our brain is is going so fast to your point that we're like, we have to make every minute count because there's information coming at us at a pace we just can't keep up with. Do you think that that, um, the availability of that information and it hitting us, do you think that's something that creates some sort of dopamine in your brain or just certain sort of addiction that says like, just got to keep going? Or you know, how does one shut that off? So one of the things I like to teach people is I tell them you our devices are capable for you to be able to program them. That's where my old programmer nerd comes out. <laughs> um, but you can program your mobile devices so that they only talk to you in the scenarios that you have deemed important enough. So for example, my phone is always in silent mode, always. I don't get any push notifications. I don't get any sounds. I don't get any flashes, nothing. My phone never makes a noise or a flash unless it's a set of pre-programmed names that I have said, if this person calls me, please make my phone ring. So for example, um, we actually took our daughter out of school. We did homeschooling last year, which was an adventure. Um, But prior to that, if the school phone number was trying to call me, my phone would ring because they're if they're calling. I, I need to get it right. If my parents call, my phone rings um, and same with my spouse. Now, they also know I've told them, hey, if you need something, just shoot me a text or email me. Call me if it's urgent. And so that way I can go around all day long, not worrying about having to check in with my phone of saying, did I miss anything important? It's going to let me know if there's something important. And then I have set times throughout the day where I sit down for 10 minutes, open my phone. And now I'm saying, okay, now is the time I've set aside to go respond to any texts or messages, et cetera, on my phone. And when you do that, you're kind of back in the driver's seat of putting up that dam of information coming at you to say, I'm only going to consume it when I'm in the headspace to actually be able to do something with it. And I think, you know, to that point, that's great, except we live in a society where if you don't respond, you're not relevant. You you kind of, you know what I mean? Like it, it's kind of become this like shameful thing like, well, you didn't respond. Did you not did you not get my message and did you not, you know, did you not want to respond? It's it's this whole big thing and I Try to practice a little bit of what you do and silence some things and only let certain things in and put my phone away and do not disturb and all those things. But then it's like you're stuck defending the fact that it's three hours later and you're just responding. The thing is, though, the people in your life, they'll get trained to it pretty quick. Everybody that whose opinions I actually care about know what I do and know that I will respond to them. And when I do, I'm giving them my full attention. Mm -hmm. And I can't say I've ever had any backlash on not being that kind of Amazon prime right here, right now, instant notification. And if anything, I've had people reach out and say, thank you. You've given me permission. Like seeing that you do this has now made me feel like I can do the same. Yeah. I think, you know, for, for myself, I think the, the ability, you know, for 
my particular clients that I deal with, you know, having that access to me for whatever they may have needed is is important, and that's part of what we, you know, what I do. And you want to be there for them. Obviously, you can't be there for everybody all the time. And I think that's probably just a a training thing to say, hey, yeah. you know, if it's something that needs my, you know, there's emergencies, which there's not many. And then there's like, hey, uh, there's a quick question or something. And then there's, hey, hey, there's this thing that maybe we should talk about at some point. And how do you, again, train your clients, friends, family, whatever, to kind of put those in those buckets? Um, yeah, absolutely. And one of the, um, I kind of have nine core components inside of my whole time management framework. And one of them is boundaries, right? And honestly, when you can establish the right boundaries for you when it comes to your time, and then clearly communicate them with others, you are actually giving them a huge service as well, because now they understand how how to interact with you and they have their expectations set correctly on information. So everybody, anybody who comes into my time management program knows right out of the gate, here are the three ways that you can get your questions to me. And I lay out three different options. Please know we will respond to you you know, it, within these core hours, Monday through Friday, period. So now right out of the gate, instead of saying, call me anytime. And I, you know, I'm checking email all the time. Now I've told them, if you've got questions, great. I am here to support you. Here's how you get them to me. And here's what your expectations can be on when you're going to hear back. And again, that kind of sets the stage and takes that anxiety, especially out of new customers of now they're no, okay, I can get help from Megan when I need it. And I know exactly what to expect and how that's going to look instead of when we just leave it open greenfield, people almost start to get anxious and feel like they need to be reaching out and they don't even know what they're asking for help mm -hmm. for. Um, it, and it, it can actually really blurry any boundaries that you may want to have in personal time versus work time as well. And so I'm going to pivot. It's a hard pivot here. But so as you went through your journey, at what point or do you have a team? Oh, yes. And how, what, I could not do what I do without one. So I went true solopreneur for two years before bringing anybody onto my team. Um, and I now have three team members who are all three also working moms with young kids, which I love. Um, cause one of the things I, I really want is that we, as a, as a company practice, what we preach in terms of how we plan and manage our time. So I only work four and a half hours, um, four days a week. And in the summers that goes down to about two to three hours because I really lean into being full-time mom and the three women that all, uh, work with me, they're all contractors and they all work part-time as well. And the way we run the business is pretty much, unless I'm doing a live event or something that's kind of, you know, here and now, all the work that we are doing in a current week is all related to stuff that doesn't have to be done for two or three weeks in the future. So that we all have the flexibility if someone wakes up one morning and they've got a sick kid, nobody needs to worry about it because any of the tasks that they were going to do that day didn't weren't have to's for the day. Um, and the few that we do have, such as responding to customers, 
We have all the standard operating procedures clearly documented in our project management system that any one of us can step in and support the other one at a moment's notice. Um, so it is something I'm very proud of. It took us a while to get you know this smooth with our systems and processes in place, um, but I certainly could never have grown the business to the size that it is now staying a true solopreneur. So you, you're speaking Julie's language with operations and systems and processes. So that's cool. Now, I love that stuff. <laughs> there's, there's one thing that you said that I'm going to, I have a problem with. And when I say I have a problem with, it's, I don't think it's fair to say it that way. Cause I think today it's, it, the, 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 the premise has to be, it's got to be about the quality of time, not the quantity. And when you say working part-time, that's saying that, well, you're not giving 100% effort because you're only working part-time. I think it should say that my sure. work week is whatever it is, and I am and I do exactly what I want, when I want, how I want to do it, and I, I kick you-know-what every yeah. single day. And it doesn't have to be like uh, a part-time thing where somebody who's going out there and grinding nine hours a week is going, what is, you know, what's Megan doing? That doesn't, she's not working at all, where in fact, it's the opposite, right? So how yes. do we change that uh, terminology where it doesn't That's look like really, and you know, I've never thought about that. You're going to make me, I'm going to be very cautious on how I say that in the future. Cause I think that's an excellent point. When I am working, I am all in and I, mm -hmm. <laughs> I am highly productive. Um, but I think again, my corporate background is always coming in with that 40 hours a week means oh, yeah. full time. Right. And so that's, that's the, the old corporate brain coming to the table, but I think it would be interesting to, you know, I have created the harmony, the work-life harmony mm -hmm. in my life that serves me really, really well. And the three women on my team each came in with, these are the boundaries in terms of here's how much time I have available to work. Can we create a structure that supports this? And thankfully the answer has been yes to all of us. So maybe, maybe a good way of phrasing it is I'm, I'm honestly know. living my dream life. Right. I think you're going to put but this. But I work in, really yeah. hard at it. <laughs> right. I I think you're going to put this in your program somehow, probably because yeah, I think so. Because again, it's it's um you know I I'm not speaking for you, Julie, but I'm speaking for me. I I just don't feel like a lot of the times if I don't put in do the grind that I am failing somehow. I am not giving everything I can, and and that's probably not a right way to look at that. Right. If I'm not working my ninety hours a week, well, I'm just not. I'm not committed. Well, the reality is I shouldn't have to do that. Nobody should have to do that. That's not reasonable. Like, why do we have to kill ourselves like that? So then it comes down to how do you get that quality instead of quantity where you, the entrepreneur, can be like, you know, it's okay. You don't have to work that much. You can still be productive no. and make whatever you're going to make and do whatever you're going to do and be impactful. So I cannot wait till you rerun your little thing and come back with that. Tell <laughs> yeah, me fine. what that looks like because I'm going to use it myself. Well, when I see people – and this is, again, I'm going to generalize a little bit, but when I, when I meet people that are feeling like they have to work 12 hours a day, you know, or they're not being productive or growing their business fast enough, or, you know, not showing that they're a true entrepreneur to me, oftentimes that's a sign of they aren't doing the right type of strategic planning for their business. And they're really kind of flying by the seat of their pants or, you know, Bill, okay, well, let me try this. Well, let me try this. So let me, so-and-so just did that. So I'm going to do that too. And so we're, we've got, you know, tentacles out everywhere instead of when you, you know, I mean, we do our annual planning in October for the following year for the business, 
I know at a high level, uh, um, what are all the, the big events for the business? What are the key dates that we need to hit? What are the KPIs that we're tracking towards so that we have that right level plan in place so that then we can take a step back and say, hey, you know, I, I, for instance, I intentionally plan for the month of July. I'm really not working very much. And I'm totally fine with that because the huge event that we have in the fall is already pre-planned out. Everything is in place. We know that we're hitting all of our dates. And so when you get really good at mastering, there's four levels of planning that I, I encourage people really master, weekly planning, monthly, quarterly, and annual. And when you master those in your business, that opens up that freedom to recognize I don't have to work. 10 hours a day. I just need to be in alignment with my goals, have a clear plan of how to get there, and then making sure that I'm not being distracted by all the other things that I see going on, which is so easy to do as an entrepreneur. This, this is all crazy talk. But so anyway. you're, you're talking my language because I think just to build on that is in order to make those plans, those goals, to have a full understanding of that, you have to understand your purpose, your vision, yep. your mission, and your core values. And there's, you know, a couple other things you could throw in there too. But once you make those decisions based on those, right, those things just, you know, right? You know what your purpose is. Your purpose is to make sure that July is kind of a coveted time that gives you to be able to have that dream, right? or however you want to say it. And, and that's become your purpose is to create that harmony to be able to do both those things. And so I think you have to have that foundation to be able to to build those things out too. Absolutely. And I love that you mentioned each one of those separately. Um, the project management software we use to run the business um, in our kind of overarching, well, you know, when it joins the company, all of those things are clearly stated out that they go through and read. We have our mission, we have our core values, we have our purpose, um, and they're they're clearly stated. And, and every team meeting we have, we review them. Just like guys, don't forget this is this is why we're here. This is what we're doing. Um, and there was a, a great book that I encourage every entrepreneur to read that was introduced to me early on, which is the one thing that really can be super helpful to help you get laser focused on what those things are so that you don't get distracted by all the other things that you see other entrepreneurs The shiny doing. objects out there, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's uh, my head spinning on this one, which is awesome. And I hope all the people listening to this is changing how they think about it. Because again, the premise is, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, you start off kind of like doing business, you're doing all the work, you're trying to get the billables out, you're doing all the back office things, you're doing everything. And then eventually you start bringing in team members and you're trying to transition to like, um, you know, building, you know, building a business instead of doing a business. Right. And as you build a business, you know, it's really hard because now you got to trust and empower other people. You're responsible yep. now or to or from whatever that word is for everybody. And it seems like that takes a lot more effort, a lot more responsibility. And then the question becomes like, well, how big is good? Like how, how big do I want to get? You know, how much do I want to grow this company? And where, where's, what is that end game? Right. And yep. for you, it seems like, you know, bigger isn't better, better is better. And which is awesome. And how would you recommend to somebody who has that thing in their heads? It's like, I just got to go big or go home. Right. And how do they find that balance would that something that they would be using your plan to do that? Or is that just something they just have to just keep grinding it out? No, I mean, I can definitely support on that with the time management side of things. But 
and this is one of the things I do in, in our annual planning as well, I will say as an entrepreneur, I mean, I'm, I participate in some pretty high level masterminds with, you know, entrepreneurs out there with, you know, 10, $15 million run rates per year. I'm not there. Um, and it's so easy to get caught up in that and to go, well, then I, I need to want that. I need to want that. So one of the things that I really like to help other business owners with is to say, okay, five years from now or three years, pick whatever that is. How many hours a day or a week do you want to be working? And how much money do you want to pay yourself over the course of that year? Like really, let's just net it down to those couple of things. What do you want your lifestyle to look like in terms of time freedom and financial freedom? And to really, really think about that. <laughs> um, once you have that in place, now you can back into, all right, well, realistically, what are my profit margins looking like, right? So what would that mean from a revenue generating standpoint? So one of the things that I challenge my whole team with every single year is to say, how can we, can we nudge up our revenue while also increasing our profit margin this year, but nobody works any more time than they already are. So this is a fun game and challenge that I put out to the business every single year. And so far we've done it. We continue to increase profit margins and revenue and nobody's working any more hours than they already are. And so for me, I know what my end picture looks like in terms of time freedom and financial freedom. And with the profit margins that we're running, I don't feel the need to build a $10 million business. Maybe I will, but only if it doesn't break the time freedom that I continue to want to have. Um, and so I think that that number of what is enough is going to look very different for different people and their different desires. Um, and so I just have to learn when I get into, into those rooms and I hear all these aggressive numbers and I mean, I'm competitive. So of course I'm like, well, I can do that. Mm -hmm. I always have to take a step back and say, is kind of back to your point, Julie, is this, is, is this in alignment with our core values, with my personal mission and with what I want my life to look like in five years? And if it's not, I can be okay with saying I'm not the biggest revenue generator in the room but I certainly have, you know, maybe I've got the best time freedom or something like that. That feels good for me. You know, it's funny, you know, entrepreneurs, it's a very diverse crowd out there, right? We are, mm -hmm. they are, they're all crazy and they all have different motivations and they all got different challenges and whatever those things are. And I think this particular podcast is going to speak to a specific segment very well. And it may tickle on each side of the spectrum and get somebody sure. else to go, wait a minute, we ought to change this over here. Um, you know, one of the big questions we ask, you know, our guests is like, you know, what is your superpower? What do you think that you're like, you know, can you fly the, you know, the speed of light? You know, can you have x-ray vision? Is it, what, what is it that thing that you're like, you know, I just, this is what I got and I'm the best at this. What, what do you think that is? I am the best at creating, turning chaos into harmony. That's a good one. In, That's in, in any in any, it doesn't just have to be calendars or time management. Um, that is deaf. I can walk into what looks like the biggest disastrous situation and I can, I can create harmony out of that. Did you have a mentor or is there someone that's really, you know, been impactful as you've gone through this journey or someone maybe in corporate America that just 
really believed in you that gave you that confidence to kind of jump off the cliff? Well, so I've had, I've been in a few masterminds and there've been some other entrepreneurs that I have looked up to that I have learned a great deal from. Um, I would say Stacey Tushel is a big one uh, with her well-oiled operations. Um, I have got gleaned a lot of inspiration in terms of presenting and, and doing very powerful presentations through Colin Boyd. Um, I would say from the giving me the that leap of faith and confidence to go out on my own um that didn't come from corporate america it really came from my mom and dad um from a very young age with and my sisters and i could not be more different um they have always just encouraged and created the space for us to define whatever it is that we wanted to do and um, especially as a dad in the Marine Corps with three young girls, I really value that. <laughs> and I always loved the story when we had flying back from overseas and my oldest sister at the time was just enamored with the flight attendants. Um, you know, we're talking back in the, you know, late 60s, early 70s. And uh, they were getting off the plane and she looked to my dad and said, oh, when I grow up, I want to be a stewardess. And he looked at her and he just said, well, why don't you just be the pilot? She's like, all right. And so I think I just, I grew up in that atmosphere. And so I just always felt like, why not? So one more last question. What is your end game? It's going to sound very ambitious, um, but I really want to be a, and not my name, but the business and what I teach to become a mainstream household name for any woman that is feeling completely overwhelmed. Um, I've had some few people say like the Marie Kondo of time management. <laughs> um, but um, that really is my end game is that people know, oh my gosh, there's a resource and I know where to go to go learn what I need so that I can get back in the driver's seat of my life and feel back in control again. Man, that was a very impactful. I think I got more out of it than you, Julie. But uh, that's just my opinion. So, is but I there... want to go back to her end game. Why? Because I think I love your answer, and it's very defined. A good one. But there's still no end game because you still want it to continue to keep going, and and I love that. So, sorry, yeah, I wanted, a, I, wanted a, to make that I, I don't have a date in mind. I don't have a number in mind. I just and what it will transform into. I don't know. It's definitely but a trick question. I'm excited question. to find out. <laughs> it's definitely a trick question because, yeah. you know, once you have something so cool and you can manage it and operate and help so many people, why would you ever stop if you enjoy yeah. it, right? Because it's it's not like you're working, you know, killing, sacrificing everything for it. You have a found your, oh, what's that? Harmony. The harmony. And yeah. why if you still have harmony, why would you stop? I mean, you're impacting so many people. And I mean, very, you know, on the more pragmatic, like real answer there. I mean, I do have visions currently of, you know, one day maybe selling the physical asset side of the business, um, the actual physical planners and courses, um, and maybe selling that one day. And where my time is spent is just going out in true speaking and training and having that flexibility. So I kind of, I dream about that maybe in five or six years, um, but We'll find out. There's no end game. There is no. It's, it's <laughs> awesome. Well, is there a place uh, that, you know, Megan, you can tell our listeners that they could go look you up in case they want to tap into what you have to offer? 
Absolutely. So um, my website is full of tons of resources. You can just find it at megansumrall.com. Um, I've got a great free training available to you right there. When you, when you hit the website, you'll be asked if you want to go check that out. Um, also podcast, if you're here listening, you're probably a podcast listener. Uh, so I've got a great podcast called the work-life harmony. Um, and it's just very short, pragmatic time management tips that you can digest in about 10 minutes each week as well. That is fantastic. Well, you've been a joy talking to. Thanks for taking time out of your day to chat with us. And uh, I hope our, I know our listeners are going to enjoy this. So thank you very much. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. Well, Julie, another one down. Good seeing you. We'll see you. Take care, everybody. At Harper and Company CPA Plus, we just don't care about the numbers. We care about helping you tap into the greatness of your entrepreneurial journey. You deserve a partner who has helped hundreds of businesses go from paying the bills to building the business and lifestyle of their dreams. Go to our website and download our free guide entitled Entrepreneurial Success Formula, How to Avoid Managing Your Business from Your Bank Account. The link is in this episode's show notes.